Welcome to episode 7 of It's a Baseball Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Hale. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode 7 of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode, which was a bit of a throwback to some of the old Flags Fly Forever days with TGFBI conversations. This week we're returning to baseball. We're spending quite a bit of time on baseball, actually. We're diving into some of the labor negotiations, but not in a way that's really like hardcore numbers or anything like that. Just kind of a bowl session almost on where we were at the time when we recorded this, which as we record this intro on Thursday afternoon, the show itself was recorded on Wednesday the 9th at late at night, depending on what part of the country you were in. So by this time, we had not seen the agreement between the union and league on a new CBA. At the time, we were still kind of at a deadlock with various things, including the international draft. But it's just a bit of a musing episode for us. For a lot of the episode, we talk about the concept of innovation in baseball and just give a lot of thoughts on where we think the game is headed and where we think it is right now. And we end up ending on a fun note. We, we tell some stories. Uh, Mike tells a very awkward story uh, about a Comic-Con type interaction with his brother. And I go into one of my more favorite stories about the time I got to ask Bob Costas one question and I made it one he definitely probably doesn't get that often. So without further ado, let's get you to this week's episode, episode seven. It's a baseball podcast right now. I, I was struck by um, Heyman's tweet, which Gosh. Mike, I'm sure you haven't seen. No, he's, um, he's blo- he blocked me. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm which saying. Is, I, I, between <laughs> him and you know the pitcher shall not be named. Like I'm I'm happy they you know blocked me. It's... Oh, you you caught a block from from TB. I did, and well, <laughs> I haven't even done that. Congrats, well, man. well, it was funny. Like this was like I I almost never complain about him directly. I'm I'm sure you know what I usually complain about are the journalists who fawn over him and support him and are so shitty about like not pushing back. And he finally like you know I see he well he said something and you know some of the people standing for him were like you know oh well you know he he said such and such and you you're a coward. I'm like well he blocked me. I don't even know what he said. And I'm like I don't really care who the coward is or isn't, but. I mean, it wasn't like brave or heroic to block me, but yeah, that's why he blocked me. He blocked me because of something. And a couple of the Cleveland people, like who were following me at some point, unfollowed me too. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, so from an hour ago, I'll just read it. Uh, this is Heyman. Players made an offer late today. They'd spend the season working on a world draft, and if it didn't work out, qualifying offers, free agent comp would be reinstalled at year's end. Okay, we kind of knew this. This was Manfred's idea Tuesday night, but was rejected because it came after MLB's 6 p.m. deadline. So what what we're if if Heyman's to be believed here, then the idea that they would just table the international draft, the idea that they are that the owners are now just rejecting as a non-starter, that's Manfred's idea. And, and he floated it yesterday, but apparently because it was after the deadline, which was not a deadline, unless Heyman maybe meant Wednesday. I don't know. With Heyman, you know, it's, it's tough to disentangle the what's intended and what is just, you know, yeah. incompetent. Yeah, but, so he has, he has an agenda, too, so it's really tough to kind of, like, he clearly yes, is pro-owner, so it's really tough to. Well, he is, sure, yeah. yes. But I think it's. Sure. If this, I don't know. I just think it's comical now at this point because, you know, yes, take it with a grain of salt. But if, in fact, it was Manfred who floated this idea that the owners are now rejecting, like this is, I don't, I don't know how to take this. I do think that we are, uh, 
we can forget that the owner's block is not unified. Like I just, I think there might be a huge shit show among the owners right now. And, and the other thing that makes me think that is you saw the, the tweet that Steve Cohen liked earlier. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that whole thing. I think it was uh, David Lesky. Um, I think he's been BP affiliated in one way or another. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think there's a lot of chaos on the owner's side, but that does not, you know, it doesn't bode well because they, if they can't agree among themselves, then it seems like it's going to be hard for them to, you know, come to an agreement well, on anything the PA proposes. Yeah. And I think that's some of the, I think that's some of the problem. Like they, they look really close. Like, and, and again, this is all being reported. We don't know the whole you know picture, blah, blah, blah. But like, it seems like they're really close. And it also seems, and I know this hour is our admittedly pro player, like preference or bias. It seems like the players are giving up more than the owners are. But yeah, like we don't know, we don't know. So it, it's just kind of a problem. And also it seems that's kind of some of these pro owner people like Heyman seem to be the ones like pushing this narrative and then blaming the players where it's like, well, at best, we don't know that that's the case. Like we just have no idea what's really happening in the negotiation. I, I suspect Heyman doesn't either. I've always kind of felt like his sources are sort of, you know, they're good for like trade rumors or for agent signings. They're really not so good at this more like high level stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, Heyman is, and like, you know, and, and I think Heyman, he strikes me as someone that might not be, um, I'm trying to find a way to say this without sounding insulting, but I, I don't think I can oh, insult, find, find insult. that way. So I don't he's think a stooge. he's, Let's just he's call a stooge. It what it is. I, I don't think he's really savvy enough to know when and exactly how he's being played. He's a well, stooge. He's a rube. There's a lot of ways to describe him. You, well, remember, I mean, I, I don't want to get into this whole thing, but remember the, of course, I probably will now. Remember Roger Clemens and Brian McNamee and, and all that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, Brian McNamee played Sean Heyman. I, I, you, there, there's really no other way to like, like look at that situation and what happened and really think that that's anything else happened. I mean, Heyman, like to me, came across as a fool in that whole thing. And really, you know, this is like another conversation. The fact that he has any credibility at all after that, I mean, Brian Heyman, like uh, Brian Heyman, John Heyman is just unreal. It's, it's, but, but that's sort of a separate conversation about journalism and, you know, the fact that there was a time when, you know, if you cross certain lines, you either wouldn't have a job or at least the job you had would, you know, be in Podunkville. You wouldn't have this like big spotlight that he still has. Yep. No, it's true. But, but I yeah, I mean, the, the phrase uh, useful idiot is, uh, comes to mind. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that there's a lot, a lot we can say that is going to add to the conversation. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't, that's the thing. I, I don't have much to say. And, you know, honestly, again, I, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm not an expert. I, I'm not a labor person. Like maybe at some point, you know, we could bring in like Mark Normandin or, or Eugene Friedman. But I, I really, you know, that would be, you know, yes. that would be the conversation to have there. Then we would sit back and learn lots of things. Right. Um. So, other than uh, baseball being on indefinite hiatus, or I'm sorry, Major League Baseball being on yes, indefinite thank you. hiatus. 
um, how, how are we all, how are we all doing? How are we filling our, our time? Samuel? <laughs> not well, not well, <laughs> not well. Like I, I, I mean, I'm kind of existing in a lot of ways. I think the, it's, it's in a post pandemic world, not having baseball feels both bad and good in the same time. Like I'm kind of used to it being wonky at this point or major league baseball. I should say there is other forms of baseball as we've already mentioned, but like the 60 game season kind of got you acclimated to the idea that baseball starts late. And then last year was just that kind of weird dead zone of some places are having fans. Some places aren't, we probably shouldn't be doing this, but we are anyway and nothing quite feels right. So like coming into year three of this experience, I'm not totally missing the game yet, the major league game. I'm I've kind of been on team. If the major leagues don't come back this year, I think we talked about this very briefly last week. I think it's probably better off for everyone. Like I think it's probably like a breakup or at least a separation would probably be the best for all parties. And we may get that unintentionally. I don't think that's anybody's intent, though it may I, I guess anything that Dick Monfort's involved in could be malicious to baseball. So I guess we can't truly rule it out. But overall, I I don't miss it right now. I'm nothing that Major League Baseball would add to my life is making it any better or worse by it not being here. So, which is probably an indictment on where it sits right now in my existence. Yeah, I mean, I I I do miss it. I mean, I miss spring training. I mean, this would be the time when we would be kind of getting into the over over valuing these spring training performances that don't mean anything and you know having having the games on like in the afternoon or you know while i'm working would be nice but i have to say that you know other things in the world have definitely given me some perspective and you know like you i i think if if i had if i stepped back from my own selfish desire to to have baseball i i completely agree that it would probably be the best thing for the game if there was if this conflict was gone through instead of just danced around which unquestionably whatever cba they land on it's not it's not going to fundamentally change anything i mean we already nope. know the framework we already we already basically know all the numbers like <laughs> we're you know it's pretty much done um and I think that just is going to lead to, I think we'll miss a month, you know, maybe, maybe give or take two weeks on either side. I think we'll start somewhere between mid-April and mid-May. Yeah, I'm on the pessimistic side of that. But yeah, I think mid-May is my, like, prediction. Yeah, I think, and I think that makes sense. I mean, after today, I think before today, even, you know, with the cynical, this don't get excited, you know, mentality that i had going into i I think i would have said yeah maybe we'll get there sometime in april but after today i think i'm probably closer to that mid-may start date and and we'll limp along i mean you know the game won't change um there'll be dumb rules and you know maybe some rules that'll be better i don't know bigger bases whatever let's try it out um personally not in favor of banning the shift but it's not a hill I'd die on. I think there might be some short-term, you know, benefits. I don't know. Yeah, but I feel pretty agnostic about the, like the shift banning. Like I'm kind of against it, but I don't really, 
be like, oh no, like it, it's one of those things I have a feeling that after a couple of years I'd be like, oh, like, okay, I remember when they used to shift all the time and now they don't. I mean, I, I used to be very hardline about and not having an NLDH and I changed my views and I'm sure that the, the shift, I mean, I could well, easily change my views on I, that. I think, well. well, I think the difference with that and say like the ghost runner, like the, the shift doesn't really change the essence of the game. It changes a strategy, but you know, teams react. It's kind of like raising the mound versus lowering the mound or moving the fences in or moving the fences back. It doesn't change the essence of the game. It changes how a team might play, but it doesn't change the essence. Whereas the ghost runner, I feel changes the essence of the game. And that's where I have a problem with it where I'm like, okay, well, this is just like kind of goofy BS that isn't really like baseball. It's something completely different. Yeah. I know, I know Samuel, you disagree, but that, that's my, that's why with one thing with the shift, I'm like, okay, whatever. And whereas with the ghost, runner, it's like, eh. and we talked about this a little bit privately too, when the, when the shift band kind of came into purview as an option, the CBA, I don't theoretically have a problem with the banning of the shift. Like I'm kind of like you, Mike, I'm very agnostic. If they do it. Okay. If they don't, that's fine too. But what concerns me, I think this is what concerns y'all as well, is the literal litigation of it. Like, what is it going to be written as in the in the rule book? Is it going to be that you can't, you know, shift somebody over here? Like, what is the rule going to be? Because ultimately, that's where this is going to either be successful or failure. Not the actual concept of a shift ban, but like the specific letter of the law, because that's what teams either have already, which I think is probably the case, or will start to exploit like they're going to find the edge yeah. there's going to be a, a hole somewhere there's going to find it yeah yeah and i think russell carlton wrote about that at bp um, he did he did he, he writes and about the shift quite a bit he, 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 you know, he writes has very a book well called the about shift. that and he writes very well about that and a lot of things <laughs> yes he does but like in, in you know that was my immediate or i you know i i think russell might have mentioned this but the idea of well where what's the difference between an infielder playing sort of in the outfield grass and an fourth outfielder playing really shallow like mm. you know teams are going to find a way to game this and you know honestly if there's oh. been so much concern about uh game pace um you know i am not i'm uh, i could see a world where we have one or two long um stoppages during game where you know an umpire will call that you know that's a shift that's illegal you'll get the manager out to argue and you'll we'll have like two or three minutes of argument and like i don't know i mean maybe i'm maybe i'm overthinking it maybe it'll be fine um maybe the benefits will outweigh the the detriments i just you know i i there's something to me that yeah, you know, I, I think I am more on the lines of that does change the game. It changes strategy by prohibiting something in this kind of artificial way um, that I'm sure. not doesn't feel organic to me. Sure, which, although I mean, you could make that argument in basketball about the shot clock, for example. Um, yeah, you know, I, I remember you and I, John, are old enough to remember, like in college basketball, the four corners, you know, kill the oh, clock. Yeah, those right? like those like I think 18, it was the tar- thirteen games. Yeah, the Tar Heels where... were masterful at that, and there was a they, they had some chant too. It was the four corners where you know four players would just throw the ball, you know, from one corner of you know it was perfectly legal, you know, from one corner of of the half court to the other, and the fans would chant because they knew the game was over, and yeah. you know it, that fundamentally changed the game. 
Um, but I, I would say it changed it for the better. I think in this case, I'm not sure it changes it for the better. I, I do like something I do miss in baseball. I think without the shift, you were more likely to see like a diving play or like in the infield or like some defensive wizardry. And I think we've lost some of that. I don't want to say that it's completely gone away. I don't want to be ridiculous and, and hyperbolic, but there definitely is something about a ball getting hit to a place where there's three infielders like, okay, well, that's an easy play. And you know, that's, that's the end of that. So I, I have mixed feelings about it. I agree with everything you're saying, but I could also see how it could wind up being in some ways being better. And I, and I, I agree because there, there have been plenty of times when, you know, watching like say Brandon belt just to take, cause I watched the giants quite a bit, you know, last season where he would just laser, you know, a ball to the pull side and, you know, it's right in the glove of whether it's on the ground or it's a line drive, you know, you, you, there are certain balls when you see come off the bat where you're like, Oh, that's, uh-huh. that's a hit. Like that's, you You can recognize solid contact. You can recognize like the, you know, the, the sort of intuitively learn to see the launch angle and the trajectory. And you're like, oh my God, that's, you know, that's definitely getting through. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't, <laughs> you know, and that right. is, that is, is disappointing and feels, it does feel somehow unfair in a way that it, skill is not being rewarded in that yeah way. it's it's sort of stupid and, and frustrating and and kind of annoying and, and again you know some, some of this too is is it's not just the shift it, it's this idea that yes i i am not anti-analytics i i work in my real in the real world i work in an analytics department i you know in in a data science organization i, I get it like it's it's great it has you know wonderful you know applications this that and the other but sometimes in baseball, I, I just can't help feeling, you know, another thing from when I, my childhood, John, is I, I love stolen bases. Like stolen bases are, are a lot of fun. Like it, it's great to watch players run. And, you know, someone like Billy Hamilton, who, you know, at his peak, who wasn't really a logical player. And you kind of looked at like, yeah, you know, maybe the Reds could do better with somebody else. Like the I didn't the fun part of me didn't care. Like I watched I loved watching Billy Hamilton run the bases. And yes, I knew logically that if he got on base like 28 percent of the time, even though it was exciting, you know, half the time he was on base, it wasn't going to work. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, well, it, this isn't something the Reds should do. But it doesn't mean I didn't like to watch it. I'm just having a moment where, you know, I, I recognize that, like, it, it's been a – it seems like fairly recently when I was, like, listening to podcasts talking about Billy Hamilton when he was coming up as a prospect and – and now we've basically just seen the the entire run of Billy Hamilton's uh-huh. career. And it has, I mean, it wasn't a very long career. Well, but for the but, exactly the reasons you, you yeah. mentioned. Well, and some of it died out more quickly, too, just because, you know, teams have figured out, like, correctly that they haven't eliminated running. Like, teams still, still steal, but they figured out, well, we need to maximize the efficiency of this. Because mm-hmm. if, if Team A is stealing bases at an 80, you know, 80% clip and we're doing it at a 70% clip, it, we're, we're giving up a big tactical advantage, and we can't do that. And, yeah, so, again, it, it's the balance of those things, which I, I get it. Yeah, well, and also if you're constructing your offense around, you know, three true outcomes and, you you know, mm-hmm. you're sort of – stacking your lineup in the middle with players who may whose main offensive value is hitting home runs then obviously that's gonna 
cut down on the the steals that you attempt anyway so sure sure i mean that that's the old i mean this isn't new either you know it was the like earl weaver that was that right. was his mo with the orioles was you know two bloops and a blast like that was the idea and, and again like earl weaver was you know we talk about platoons now like earl weaver was the master of that with the orioles like the whole idea of he had a whole roster you know obviously he had his stars but he had a roster of players like john lowenstein who you know was great from one side of the plate not the other and that's what he did like like a lot of the stuff we talk about isn't new it's just that teams have have kind of maximized it to the hills. And I, I think this is the other thing, you know, about data science that bothers me. It's not that data science bothers me. It's that ev- there's a bottleneck. Like every team is trying to do things the same way. And like there was a time when different teams would approach a problem a different way. And some of this too, you know, this ties into the okay, back to the labor thing. And we've talked about this too on flags. Everybody has come up with the idea of, oh, like, you know, you don't need to spend money to to win, but like, what if like 10 teams are like, you know what, we're going to spend as much as possible and, you know, we're going to go way over the luxury tax and and screw it. And, you know, then another 10 teams like, no, nah, you know, what, we're going to do it. the We're going to do it this way. And I, like, I'm not even saying that everybody has to spend money. It would just be interesting if there were different ways to attack this rather than this homogenous. Nope, there's one right way to do it. And it just creates something on the field that you're like, mm, OK, like it's still baseball and I still enjoy it. But it doesn't have the novelty of oh, this is this is fun, this is new. Like, look at this thing this this team is trying. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I don't have a. You know, I feel like it's something that we've we've talked about that's, at that's various true. points over that's the fair. last. It, no, and I'm, it's not that it's not that I don't want to talk about it, but it feels like we get into this cul-de-sac where um, yeah. because the economics of the game dictate so much and disincentivize that kind of innovation, you know, or kind of going against the grain that I don't know if and when we will see a kind of, I mean, you'd like to think that the pendulum will swing back somehow because that's just sort of the nature of nature of the game, the nature of history, whatever. But it's hard to see in the near term um, how you know, more than just one or two franchises, like how there can be enough teams that actually consciously, you know, try to go against the current trend. And it's hard. It's just hard to imagine at this point in time. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Samuel. I was going to say part of the problem is I think that baseball for all its innovation over the last 20 years has kind of fallen into a bit of a an innovation glut for lack of a better term. Like we, you've got all these people that are coming into front offices and they've been conditioned to think a certain way like this. this I don't want to say new age way in general, but you know, the three true outcomes have been very popular and like we're talking, we talk about player efficiency in a certain way, but it feels like because the hiring pool has become so monotone or I guess in most cases always has been monotone. And since the analytics revolution, what you've got is a lack of creativity like, what's the most creative thing that we've seen from baseball, like deep think front offices since 2011, the, the opener? Like, that's the best we can probably say of like, hey, let's try putting a guy out there for three pit for three outs and then putting in the actual starter, which, I mean, I guess it had never been really thought of before. So kudos on a certain level. But it just feels like that the way that teams are approaching innovation but- 
is less about like finding the, new ideas and optimizing the current ones. But the it, but the opener sucks. Well, not only that, the, the opener, and this kind of ties back to my earlier point, the, the opener was being used by teams that were choosing not to spend money. Yes, like, of course. Like it wasn't. It wasn't like the Dodgers or or, or the Yankees or, or a team that that had money and analytics was like, hey, like we know we have, you know, like we can print money, but we're also going to do this because it works. It was the Rays doing it because they were trying to, you know, maximize yeah, well, efficiency, and, and they didn't want to spend, you know, ten to twelve million dollars on I, a, a capable fourth starter. And and the A's even maybe before the Rays occasionally, which you know that's the the Moneyball team. So yeah. well. Well, well, there was a time where there was that one year, like Liam Hendricks, before he was like Liam Hendricks, the the god, the closer. And this is actually, it's funny. I this is how I discovered him in fantasy is how when he became an opener because he went from throwing like like ninety one to like ninety five or ninety six when he went from being like a middling starter to a reliever. But the A's did it because they were in a situation where they had like multiple injuries. It was after the trade deadline. There wasn't really much they could do. The arms and the farm that need to be stretched out or wouldn't have been that good. So in that case, you're like, okay, well, I, I get it. Like that that's this is a necessity. Yeah, born of desperation. And it's born of desperation. That that and that's kind of cool when that happens. You're like, okay, well, it's not truly all about money. And yes, you could argue the A's should have made some trades or whatever before the deadline. But like in, in that moment, you're like, okay, well that's kind of cool. Like, that kind of makes sense. And it, it worked up until, you know, they got to the wild card against the Yankees. And I, I think it was Hendricks who, or the pitcher after him got pounded. And that was like the end of it. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, the idea was, it was kind of a fun thing. I, I think that's part of it too. Like when one team does something, you know, it's like we've talked about with like position players pitching, like when it happens three times a year, it's which, a novelty, which in 2015, believe it or not, that recently three times a year. And I think Anthony Rizzo was one of those guys pitched and you laugh and it's fun. And you're like, Haha, look at this. The, the pitcher's pitching. You know, what happens a hundred times, you know, or position pitchers, what happens a hundred times a year. You're like, eh. but this is the thing, like, and I, and I'm comparing it to other sports, you know, which is always kind of a tricky proposition, but you've seen like the evolution of modern American football strategy where, passing has been more oriented and that's brought us more unique players because it's, it's brought us the innovation of a more running quarterback, which is kind of a throwback to the, the old veer style or wishbone style, but you get unique players like Lamar Jackson who can, who can run the ball as well as pass it. Even some more mobile quarterbacks. I mean, really weird. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson was kind of the predecessor of it. There's some other guys, but it's created innovation in the space in basketball. The three point efficiency thing has, has brought us more interesting players like Steph Curry, but you, you've still got guys like Giannis who are seven feet tall and are dominating the game in different ways. Like in soccer, even you've got uh, tacticians like Pep Guardiola who created, or, or I guess more made efficient, the old positional play strategy from the seventies and eighties and have turned that into an art form. Mm. But where, where is baseball innovating? Well, like where is baseball taking those spots? Because like we talk about like money ball and these things and all these other concepts, but there's really their innovation has resulted in a, in a less exciting game on a certain level. And, and nobody seems to be well, really thinking about it in another, in any other way. Well, here, well, here's, you know, I think you might've kind of hit on something, which is in other sports, you can innovate in a way, in a positive way, right? So you can innovate in a way to make your superstars to kind of maximize the efficiency of your superstars. I, I feel like baseball has done the opposite. It's, it's a fit. The efficiency is in curtailing somebody. So like Joey Gallo, for example, like Joey Gallo, if they weren't shifting him, it wouldn't necessarily make him a superstar, but you know, there wouldn't be 
like five or six players on one side of the field and you know he wouldn't be like constantly making outs and i'm not saying the result would look very different right and you know his approach would be different maybe be a 250 hitter or 240 hitter instead of a 200 hitter but i think he would press less at the plate and i think the the offshoots we see more bombs and we see more of those like home runs like damn like that that dude when he connects like is going to hit the ball a million miles and that's that's one example like there's so many examples where the efficiency in baseball takes us away from the superstar and yes baseball is a team sport but on some level like we love seeing like the mike trouts the shohei otani's and and those players excel let's think about shohei otani shohei otani was is probably the most fun thing we've seen in baseball these last couple of years like i mean if you disagree like tell me but like that that's we, we love otani because he is like this larger than life person who transcends the game. And while you're watching, you're like, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Like, mm-hmm. even though it's a team sport, that's sort of the paradox of the sport, which is we really like want to see like somebody excel in the moment. We don't necessarily want to see efficiency where it's like, okay, like the team, they succeeded at stopping this, but not because of something any one person did, but because of a, a systemic thing. Yeah. It's very much like before the recent changes in the NFL of how you could, hit quarterbacks or play receivers or even in the NBA, like the hand check rule or some of the more like lane violation rules where you can't linger in the, in the paint anymore. Those rules change defense. And as a result, both leagues saw an uptick in offense. You're right. I think the, the shift especially represents the idea of we're not trying to be better. We're trying to make our opponent worse. And I think right. that's a negative mindset for baseball. I think you can argue that that mindset is very pervasive right now. Considering the fact that we're sitting here in a lockout where the owners aren't trying to say, how do we make more money? It's how do we say the players make less money? And it's, it's a completely different, like, those two things sound like they're the same, but they're very much well, not. Well, that's the other problem, too, is that we, we have an ownership class that, and I think this is true you know, everywhere in all sports, but it's so front and center in baseball. Like, in baseball... How can we make the most money? I, I think it's true in the NBA, for example. But in the NBA, part of that formula is like we can make money by, you know, marketing our stars or better yet, like getting the hell out of their way and letting like a Joel Embiid, like be Joel Embiid and have people be like, oh, shit, like he's amazing. And, you know, jam that retweet and like button when he you know tweets once in a while <laughs> and just be happy about Embiid. I'm not saying that Embiid. There's a lot of like people like that in the NBA who are like awesome. Like, like major league baseball just doesn't seem to have that like ability. And then you, you get stuck in these arguments too, where, you know, somebody like does something and it's like, Oh, it was better in my day. It's like, you don't see that really. So I mean, you see it a little bit, but you don't really see that so much like in the NBA and the NFL, like nobody's pointing to like a player, like Wyatt Tittle or, or J- George Mickin and, you know, or Bob Cousy and saying, those guys were better. Like you, you just don't, it doesn't really happen. No, it's it's not a very self-hating it's a very self-hating sport baseball is and you know I as a self-hating person myself who loves baseball <laughs> I guess I understand it on a certain level but on a development level like you got to believe in yourself and I mean there's just it's a very you know depressing I guess for lack of a better term way to view the game because there is I think so much great about it the play, you know the players themselves the things that they can do Again, these are the best in the world at what they do doing it. Like there's there's a subtle appreciation of that I feel like we've kind of lost over the last 
I don't know, decade or so, like whatever we call the era of optimization, I feel like has taken a lot of the wonder out of the game. And a lot of the, the thought of like, well, these guys are all really good at baseball. Like even the bad ones, like, I don't really think we consider it that much of like, okay, yeah. Can this guy get on base that much? I don't know. And maybe fantasy hurts this as well. I know fantasy kind of has a weird effect on the NFL, but it has more of an effect of like how fans view contract negotiations less than how fans view like the actual players. Like we're kind of going through this in Dallas right now with, uh, with a tight end named Dalton Schultz, you know, I'm being a little over explainer because I don't know how many people who listen to our show also consume football regularly, but he had a very good season this year. He's a free agent uh, or was going to be a free agent this year uh, before he got franchise tagged. But there was this divide about people either think he's really good because he had a lot of like catches and touchdowns and other people that didn't really like him because the way he achieved those things was a little like system dependent. And like there was the idea of like, were you there just at the right place at the right time or are you actually good? And that's kind of the discussion. Whereas with like baseball right now, we're kind of taking that to the extreme and letting it bleed over into everything. Like it's becoming less of a great sport, more of a situational sport. And well, that's not fun. Yeah. I, well, I'm, I've been thinking since, you know, you guys have been talking about the comparison between baseball and, and other sports and I actually have a, a basketball game on right now. So that's in my mind. I'm watching the WSU Cougars in their opening round Pac-12 tournament game. Um, but, you know, so so soccer and basketball, I think there is just something intrinsic to the, the gameplay where there's just more fluidity, right? There. Oh, yes. The, the play the play evolves in this sort of organic fluid way with so many multiple variables ongoing constantly, right? Football is a little different. I mean, it's a lot different. It's closer to baseball in that you have sort of set situations. You call a play. You, as a defense, you set your formation. You move accordingly to what you see um, on the offensive side. But baseball, I think, is an extreme in that regard, right? Because you just have decision point, decision point, every single pitch, right? Every single pitch is a, a decision point. And I think there is something intrinsic to baseball that is going to, if there is a kind of optimization trend in the way the game is strategized and the way the game is kind of, you know, conceived from, you know, at all levels, right? From scouting talent to developing talent to uh, constructing a roster to in-game strategy, that if you have a game where you have, you know, hundreds of decision points in every game, then I feel like I don't know how to get out of that if that trend is already kind of taken over, right? If that optimization trend is already in the game, it's almost like this virus that infects the game where you're going to necessarily pile up data around each of those decision points. And that's going to lead to the thing that we have now where you can do some of that in soccer. You can do some of that in basketball, but things are so fluid that I think it is going to, um, privilege individual performance individual sort of acts right individual movements plays where and that's the kind of thing that we love about those sports right we love we don't notice the the you know the way necessarily that pep guardiola has set up man city but we do see that amazing bit of skill when kevin de crosses and i don't know uh riyad Mahrez or someone 
pokes it in. Like that's I don't know. I don't have a point here. I'm just saying that well, I think a lot of this problem is just but, endemic to but but I think what that baseball is, is. But I think that is the point, which is like it, it goes back to what we're talking about. So the shift takes away like the idea not now maybe you know if if the modern day version of Ozzy Smith existed the Cardinals would be less likely to shift it's like well we don't need to shift nearly as much we have Ozzy Smith but I also suspect not I suspect they might be like well yes I, I get that we have Ozzy Smith but we've also figured out that like why like have him dive in the hole and maybe not make the play when you know he can just move a little bit less and you know get the ball and you know it's sort of the same thing with hitters where it's like well why pitch to you know this guy or that guy and when we could just like work around it and yes i i don't know how to fix it because they're going to try to fix it by banning the shift or you know some iteration of that but i don't know how to fix it because really innovation is part of baseball it is something that kind of does like make baseball interesting you know, one thing that I've kind of suggested that I know they're not talking about in this this go around that I don't think they will for a while, you know, is going is expanding rosters and kind of making it so that you have more hitters on the bench and you can have the strategy that, you know, people who love the NL like claim to love. It's like, well, if you love it so much, there should be like deeper benches and, you know, give the managers opportunity in the later innings to employ that strategy, particularly on the offensive side where it's not just, you know, the strategy being reliever, 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 reliever. Yeah, I I just had this radical idea, and I don't think it would ever happen because it's it's a pretty radical idea. Do you think base Major League Baseball specifically would ever make the ball bigger? And I know that's kind of a dumb thing, the very stoner thing to say on a certain level. Like, hey man, they ever make the ball bigger? Like, if if you wanted to create like a little bit more offense, obviously a bigger ball theoretically would make. And I know that Major League Baseball has plenty of problems just standardizing the current size ball, as we've seen detailed in many places, including BP, who's done a lot of great work on it. But what if you just, what if you made the ball bigger on a certain level and just said, I mean, Hey, we're going to, we're going to make it just a, like 5% uh, bigger. I just like, how does that affect pitching? Is, I, is I don't know. I'm not a I, scientist. I, I'm just, I'm yeah, just I, I, think it would, I think it would probably take like a generation. Like you would have to start with that and like in I, little league or, you know, in high school or yeah, wherever, same with then moving, course. like moving the mound back. It's kind of a similar proposition. It's something you could artificially impose, but there's, I feel like there's so many knock on effects that yeah, you'd have to well, you'd have to really phase I, I it guess, in slowly. Well, let me let me like I guess reverse engineer this. So, what, what's your goal of making the ball bigger, Samuel? What, what's the what's the end game here? Priority in theory, just uh, I would like to th- I would think that if the ball was bigger, it would be easier to see for hitters, which could mean an uptick in offense, just because you'd have that just bigger orb coming at you. And there is a, a slight precedent for this when you consider that uh, in football. The college ball and the is bigger than the high school ball, and the NFL ball is bigger than the college ball. So it's something that we and and even in going from basketball, the sizes aren't different, but like the way they feel is different. Like there is a difference, uh, at least you know, probably again, it's probably more akin to the football change than the basketball change. But I would think maybe offense or maybe just changes the way that you pitch. I don't know. Again, you'd probably have, well, to, have to figure out how that would affect velocity, how that would affect you know, you, movement, all that sort of thing. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. This is I mean, I, I, I'm just an idiot. The, uh, <laughs> the obvious thing, you're not an idiot. The obvious thing. No, you're not an idiot. Be, I mean, I think it's an interesting idea. It's I mean, just, it would be, I don't know how to implement it. It would be more contact, right? 
And yeah, if there's you would more think. contact, there's more balls in play, right? And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that that we we claim to want, you know, to get out of the three true outcomes rut. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think everything should be on the table, but you're gonna get, you know, there's so there's such an industry now around like training and development, at least in the you know in the U.S. Um, that you would get so much pushback oh, at sure. all levels. But but you know, there's I don't know that. <laughs> there's got to be some kind of change somehow because what's what's happening now is i mean sure baseball can go on and on and in this malaise and people will still you know will still watch it they'll still pony up for the mlb tv they'll pony up for you know now the apple tv subscription um and uh yeah the game can probably limp along but i don't think um it's sustainable long-term without, you know, some fundamental rethinking of the, you know, the sport, whether it's on the field or off. Right. Yeah. And like, even you might explore, I know that the NPB and the KBO use different size balls than what we're used to. I mean, we've seen Japanese and Korean players, specifically pitchers comment on the difference. So like there may be, it's not like there's not a precedent for this. And right. I, I, I don't. I feel like there's got to be changes made. I think you're right, John. That like if you can't just kind of do this death march where you're just doing everything the same way, that doesn't mean you have to take every idea. I mean, we saw it with the with the Ghost Runner. Like they did it for a couple of years in the in the COVID era. I guess are we still in the COVID <laughs> era? What are we? Who who could possibly know? Dude, like I these, I, just, I had COVID two weeks ago. We're, no, we're, we're still we're still in it. We're in I mean, COVID it's, era. and if anything, it's it's going to be around for years. It, it's the whole, you know, uh, pandemic versus endemic thing. And we're still yeah. in, we're still in the pandemic. We're, we're just hoping that at some point in the relatively near future, it will be endemic. That'd be the so way the early it. pandemic era, I guess is probably the, the way to phrase what I'm saying. Yes. And like, <laughs> did the ghost runner ultimately work out? I mean, since it's not around anymore, I think it's, it's kind of fair to say it was a failure, Though it probably was dead on arrival, just because of people like you that that all wanted it to die, like you wanted <laughs> to turn a ghost into a ghost, and I blame specifically both of you for this. Um, no one else is at fault, but both of you. But it, at the very least, it was an idea. But not all ideas have to stay, and I think that's the lesson to take away from the Ghost Runner. Not we need more of it, more of let's think outside the box and let's try stuff. And if it doesn't work, you can always take it away. Like you can't. You sure. can't change what doesn't exist. And sure. Although base, baseball has the advantage that they can, they can and should try these things. In Let's say the, the whole Atlantic League is yeah. sort of set up as like a, yes. you know, sort well, of or you could do it in the, you, you could do it in the affiliated minor leagues. Now, I, I think there's what's you know, left of them. Well, this goes back to the union thing too. This should be negotiated, and there should be benefit to the minor leaguers for trying these things. But putting putting the labor part of it aside. That that could be where the experimentation takes place, and you know, again, if there's enough buzz about it or excitement, I, I think it's like you know, this goes back to like you're saying about ideas. I think the DH when it started, people were like, "What the heck? Like, how how can you possibly do this? Like, how can the pitcher not hit?" And I think, and I know John, oh. it took you a while to come around to it. I think the DH is a good idea. I think it's fine. And same with for me at least. I don't know how you felt about this, Mike Samuel. You were in diapers. Um, if if alive, but uh, when I was very much resistant to interleague play. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, I didn't like it either. I I thought it was like I don't want to say stupid, but well, well, some gimmicky. of it it was gimmicky. Well, I, I will say too, some of it was the I didn't like the fact that there were two periods of time 
when it happened and then the rest of the season was old school. Like I like the way it is now better where there's always a series or two going on. So it's not this whole, like you're saying, it felt gimmicky where it's like, we're going to do two or three weeks of interleague play and then we're not right. going to do it. And, and the other thing I don't like that still exists is I don't like the fact that it should be more like the NFL where one year the East plays the West, you know, one year the East plays the Central don't, and however you cycle they, through that. Well, don't they kind of do that, but, but they know, preserve I, the quote-unquote yes. rivalry? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have the Mets play the Yankees six times a year, or the Cubs play the White Sox. And I, I, I don't like that. I think that takes away from the novelty of the Mets playing the Yankees and the Cubs playing the White Sox. I disagree with you on that one. Yeah, well, we'll have to disagree. I, I just think – well, it's also, frankly, a disadvantage to some of those teams, too, where, you know, if one team's better – I can remember many years where the, like the Mets were good and this probably worked to the Giants advantage some years too when the A's were good where you're sort of stuck playing that superior team. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, someone else get, you know, by luck of the draw, they get the Royals or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, that's not really fair. I, I think the thing that I object to is like, of course you have some very natural, like the New York teams, Chicago teams, the LA teams, the Bay area teams, um, that yeah, that those are sort of natural rivalries, but then you have to invent these artificial rivalries. Like I think the the um, Mariners' designated rival is interleague rival is the Padres, which uh-huh. makes no sense A whatsoever. Rivalry played all right. throughout time, <laughs> but you can't do anything else because all the other West Coast teams are spoken for. I mean, I think I don't know what the like. I think it's. The rock. I don't even know what like the Rockies. Maybe the Royals. Themselves. I don't know. Their yeah. main rival well. is themselves. <laughs> they should fight themselves. <laughs> Won't even go into the Rockies. Yeah, that was. That seems like it was days ago. But it, the news about them firing their newly hired uh, mm-hmm. analytics person. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, getting uh, sort of getting off the point. But to I think your larger point was that you know we as baseball fans can be very resistant to change. And I, I acknowledge that, but, um, you know, a lot of these changes, we get used to them and, you know, maybe even come to prefer them. So, whatever. Get rid so, of that's, divisions so too. like that's, that would solve uh, a lot of your rivalry problems. Just get rid of divisions in general. Then you can kind of schedule a lot more freely when you're not having right. to play, Go back you know, to 19 games schedule. against the Angels and Rangers. Nobody wants that. I have mixed feelings about that. I, I like divisional rivalries, but. Oh, I like the rivalries, but I don't like the obligations that the divisions put on you for them. Like you can schedule those rivalries all you want because you know they exist. It's not like if we disband the NL West tomorrow, the Giants and Dodgers are going to love each other again. Like that's not how that works. Like, yeah, I think that's the, you know, you can still schedule that in. Like MLB still creates. It's not like the schedule is like the tablets, the Ten Commandments from God. Somebody just walks them down <laughs> right. from the mount. Like you still make the schedule. You can make it however you want. And I think if you're if you're Major League Baseball, just make it how you want. Like, don't, but you don't need divisions. It'll be a lot cleaner for the playoffs, especially if we're going to keep expanding it anyway. For God knows why, but if we're going to keep expanding the playoffs. Let's make it a little bit more fair. Let's make it a little easier for everyone. And let's I, shave 40 games off this thing and make it a little better. I, I, I'll say you're going to really, get your wish this year. Sam. I don't really mind. Uh, it sure I, looks like it, doesn't it? I, I have to say, I know it's sacrilegious. That's another thing I don't really mind. I, I you know, 14 teams to me is a much, but I, I'm not really averse to the playoffs expanding. I, I feel like it adds excitement and 
what it should do too is i don't know if it will it should make teams less likely to tank because in theory if you have a shot at the playoffs that's what you should be playing for yeah i i think that argument is kind of one-sided that we've been hearing it's like oh well teams will just sort of limp along and not spend because they can just catch some luck and, and sneak into the playoffs. But yeah, I, also I don't think know about that. I, I yeah, I know. I, I agree completely. Like, I well, it's tough because like, I like the Mariners, for example, they, they kind of did that weird thing this last year where they sort of were doing both, right? Like they were mm-hmm. selling and buying and, and they were kind of trying to play both sides of the fence. But yeah, I, I, I think in particular, if you have a 12 team system, and as opposed to being on the bubble, like you, you've got a you know 50-50 chance of, or 60-40 chance of making it, it makes it a lot harder to justify to the fan base, oh yeah, we're we're just not gonna we're not gonna try because right. we're an eight-six win team and there's a hundred win team out there because what as you know, once you get the playoffs, anything could happen. Yeah, especially if you get you're approaching the trade deadline and you're actually in a playoff position. Like it's really hard to just say, fuck you to your fan base. We're selling because we don't, we've run the numbers and you know, our run differential doesn't match up with our, our record. And unless uh, you're, you know, unless you're raised fans, cause you know, they, they, they they get off on that shit. Well, they like the Kool-Aid and anything the new organization says goes, but yeah, otherwise, (laughs) like otherwise, you know, there might be one or two other fan base like that, but yes, otherwise a lot of fans are like, no, that's, that's bullshit. Like we don't accept that. Also, yeah. this is a, an argument for bigger rosters too, that if you have more guys on the major league roster, you, you, there's more people to trade from than are major league quality, quote unquote. Like I think one of the things that holds back trading is, well, you know, we'd get let back minor leaguers. They're not going to help us for another two years. Okay. Well, if I've got, you know, let's say 30 is the number though. I think it probably should be closer to 35. Like realistically, if I've got 35 guys on a major league roster across 32 teams, or 30 teams. I always fuck that up. I'm, well, I don't know how I keep doing someday it. Someday soon, they'll, they'll be 32. So, And then we'll yeah, probably be better say. for it, honestly. Like, I don't, I don't yeah, think that's I would, a bad thing. I don't mind that. But like the idea of, like, hey, 35 across 30, there's going to be more quote-unquote major leaguers. You've artificially inflated it a little bit, but at the very least, you could say, hey. this, And, and there would also just be more room for smaller trades. Like, hey. Maybe I could go get that reliever or get that bench guy. Like it gives you just more options and it would be more exciting. You know, it, I think, I think it would be better. I think it just in general, it would give people more jobs, which I'm always for, Mm -hmm. but I think it would open up the trading possibilities because it just, you'd elevate more people from the bottom up. You'd be able to have more minor leaguers, more different minor leaguers and more major leaguers. Yeah, it, it would almost be like the trading deadline is kind of like a de facto rule five draft in season where you have, Mm-hmm. Your the the end of your bench that's not getting any run could sort of get out of that situation and you know get to a team where they might actually find some playing time. Yeah, if you're tanking, why not go get guy 35 off the bench and see right. what you've got? Or if you're just there's and you could trade guy 20 on your bench, like it would it'd be kind of a natural refresh of some rosters. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of ways it could go. Like I think it's overall just a positive in general, especially when you factor just more guys getting paid. If there were yep. 35 player rosters, though, you'd have to institute some like limits on in-game. Yeah, I, I think 35 might be 35 a could be like, a little I, I like, Yeah, I like, I'm being a little like high 20, on that one. Well, I, I've had a couple of these. I've had so 28 or maybe 30. But yeah, I, what I sort of like the idea of more is you cap the roster 
like within one game at 28, but you have more flexibility. You have like, like a taxi squad kind of. Like, yeah, on pitchers in particular, you can cycle in and cycle out. And, you know, one thing about that is I sort of like the idea of limiting pitchers in a game. And this also ties to the idea of like one teams really should have like, as opposed to the position player, they really should have almost a pitcher who can be okay. The game's over, just about over. And we have a real pitcher come in and throw, you know, two innings on the back end just to save the rest of the bullpen. Like that, that pitcher, fireman. that pitcher used to exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a, a worse version of Dennis Lamp, if you will. So, the <laughs> patron saint of this podcast. Patron saint of this Lamp. podcast. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, in all seriousness, like, I, I think stuff like that would really help. Like, I do, I like what you're thinking, Sam. I think that's the point of this, this podcast or where it's evolved to, which is I think there's ways to improve the game. Yeah. It's just that this goes back to the cycle of right now, the people running the game, I don't think are interested in really improving it. I think they're interested in money and everything else is, is eyewash. Yeah. And I think it's also so much, again, so much of it comes down to who is making these decisions. And obviously at the top level, it's the owners. We know what the owners are about. We've known it for a while. If you didn't before this year, congratulations. You've gotten a a big time crash course in it, but like the hiring pool for so long has been, Hey, are you a white Ivy league man? Would you like to come work in major league baseball? And they've all, so like, it's not a surprise when you poach the same people from the same places who are thinking in the the same same way, way. who are networking with the same people, you get the same results. Gee, where else might we heard this result of an idea in, in other places in American society? I don't know. It's a mystery. But, God damn it. Yep. <laughs> once again, what? once again. Okay. Always comes done. back to it. Welcome no. to American society. But well, once again, we've done a baseball podcast. We're done. A, it's a baseball podcast. It always can, has been. I mean, we, we can talk about something else if you <laughs> no, want. Okay. I was honestly worried that we would just fall into doom and gloom about the CBA. But this was, you know, this was a fun kind of forward thinking mm-hmm. way. Like we were imagining a future for baseball and not just that this well, sport is, is going to be I, dead. I mean, I, I think that's the bottom line though, which is, is like everyone, I should say most people who complain about baseball, I don't complain about baseball because I hate it. I, I love baseball and I, I want baseball to survive. Like I, I don't want it to become a thing. You know, somebody was comparing, somebody's making the analogy about how this happened to boxing where, you know, I think some of boxing was like the violence, you know, inherent in it, but boxing went from being this big central sport that people like loved and was part of our consciousness that now is just sort of this thing in the background. Like that, that's kind of what I don't want to happen to baseball. I don't want to become this like thing in the mm-hmm. background where like, it's like, oh yeah, they, they still play that. Or like, wow, there's still a major league version. Of that? Oh, okay. Well, and, and to take the boxing analogy further in a, you know, a dark direction, like, I'm not, you know, I can't say this with authority, but it strikes me that probably a lot of the remaining fan base for boxing is tied up in gambling. Oh yeah. And and eh, the trend the trend for baseball is, you know, it's headed the same way. Like sure. It could very well be like in the in the kind of darker timeline that it largely lo- it loses its kind of I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say authentic or genuine, but that's kind of what I mean. You know, people who love the game just without having to have um, any kind of juice on it, like the, to, to becoming a kind of vehicle for for wagering, basically. Yeah. I no, will I, say with, bo- with boxing, 
It's a little different because a couple things happened. One, baseball, baseball, boxing cannibalized itself with all the different world championships mm-hmm. and like yes. creating like 10 different sanctioning organizations. So it, it became like, at least with baseball, <laughs> the World Series so, champion is under one roof. So like, so we, be sh- like, we shouldn't fight that antitrust exemption too hard because we'll end up with 10 different uh, You know, <laughs> it's, an interesting, it's an interesting concept, I would say the least, but... But even then, like part of the problem with bo- like there's a lot of problems with boxing just in general, even though it's a sport that I've come to enjoy on a certain level, definitely not on an expert level, very much as an amateur. But like the history kind of tells a story of a, of a, le- of, a of leagues that spread themselves too thin, of uh, fights that that sh- that happen too late. Like and this is a problem with boxing now. There's fi- there's fights that fans want, but because the promotions can't get together and give them what they want, they don't happen, and therefore it would be like, hey. Imagine if you could script like the best, you could legitimately ensure the best two teams played in the World Series, but, and you would know it would make a lot of money. But because of whatever reason, maybe one side doesn't get enough money, we never saw it. You had to settle for like, let's say Dodgers Yankees was the, was the best possible series you could see. And you'd guarantee that for your championship. But the Yankees said, well, we need more money than the Dodgers to do it. And it never happened. So instead, you got the Dodgers and the Red Sox. And even though the Red Sox were still good, they weren't right. as good as the Yankees. There was an obvious, well, yeah, it kind of harkens back to like the old college football bowl system in a lot of yes. ways. Where, on a certain level, but, yes. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was a, a pretty big boxing fan back like in my, I would say probably like my preteen years. And Mike, I don't know if no, I was, I you, was too. I, I was, it was 80s, an event, but, right? The, the big, yeah. like, you know, sort of well, later the, the Mike, stages Mike of Tyson, Muhammad Ali. Like Mike Tyson, even yeah. Tyson, like, was. I mean, Tyson was, was a big deal. It was brief, but like, I mean, he was like, yes, I know it was, was must see. It was must. I know TV. it was physically, but he was larger than life, and it was just that amazing, mm-hmm. like watching his ascent and even fall, like when he lost to Buster Douglas, like that. That was just incredible, and that that was that was yeah, just was a last straw. Like George, what Ford, year was that? I think that, I think I might 19, have already been 19, in college. It was nineteen ninety. I was in college. Yeah, so. I was in college. So no comment. Um, yeah, I know you weren't no, born. We're not but, born. We get it. But. uh yeah, no, I, I mean, I remember it was just one of those, you know, sports that would, like, I was an avid Sports Illustrated reader, like, in I'll my sort three. of preteen and early teen years. Me and, three. And just see, just wondering, like, I would, you know, I knew what day of the week it was going to arrive, and I was like, what's going to be on the cover? And, you know, as often as not, it was, you know, it was, it was boxing, you know, it would be yeah. boxing, or it would be Along with baseball and football, oh, Ali, Sugar Ray, Ali, Larry Hall, Hagler, Hagler. Hagler. Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, I I just remember like all the stories, you know, like I surrounding all those fighters. And that was the thing too. Like, and this goes back to what I was talking about before with baseball. Like, it, it was about. I know it's an individual sport, but it's about the stars. Like, it was sort of about the idea of like, wow, you, here you have these people who are like larger than life. I mean, that's one reason like why tennis right now, particularly women's tennis is, is so popular. I know some of it's Serena Williams or was Serena Williams, but I think it goes beyond Serena Williams. I think there are several players in, in women's tennis that are like, wow, like these are stars and they're, they're great to watch. And, you know, I, it just makes me like love the sport. And yeah, that's the thing with baseball. It, it just feels, I want to say it's lacking. There's a lot of stars, but it feels like baseball isn't good about kind of just getting out of the way and letting those yeah. people like take up the space. Let this the kids also, play, as they say. Yes, yes, let the kids play. Also, the thing that baseball isn't worried about, there's no UFC type entity to come infringe on its space unless like somebody 
like a billionaire decides they want to run a competitive softball league, which by the way, I'd be super into as someone that watched a lot of college softball. Um, softball is dope and I will decry anyone that says otherwise. It's, it's you know, fast pitch softball is incredible. Yeah. Like anyone that's ever wa- like, like watch college. Like if you, if you want to watch the best of the best, watch the college world, the women's college world series. It's freaking awesome. And if you don't think so, I can't help you. There's just nothing I can do to help you on that. No, it is from what I've seen of that. That is, that is fun. I, I and like, that would be the competitor, I think, if somebody was going to run competition. If you've got like $10 billion and you want to try to take on Major League Baseball, find a way to do fast pitch well, softball on a Well, that would be interesting, like, is, you know, because that wouldn't, you know, I, I'm sure there's a case where that wouldn't violate the antitrust exemption because it's like we're not playing baseball. We're playing a different sport entirely. Yeah, it's, a, it's softball. And it doesn't even yeah. have to be softball. It can be Calvin ball. It can be whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so the the South Park guy is basketball, that, that movie. Basketball, right. Sure. Yeah, yeah it's the same would, idea here. But I, softball's I have exciting. I have thought about that movie. Uh, that's that's one of those movies I saw for like the first time, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And I was like, wow, like th- this movie is dated. Like this is this is definitely a product of its time. <laughs> have I told you all my basketball story before? I don't think so. I'm glad okay. I brought this up in that case. You should be. So, all right. So when I was in college... Bob Costas came and talked to one of our came to our like department. He they 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 did this thing called the 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 Maverick Speaker Series, and they'd bring in like luminaries from all different kinds of fields. And Bob Costas came to speak to us one time, and he came to the, the specifically the uh, the journalism and communication side of the of the campus. And they would do what they would call master classes, which you had to you would get in there and it'd be like twenty to 50 people in the department and you'd get to like hang out with them. He would tell that they would tell some stories. You get to ask questions. It was basically like a private event before the big public event later that night. And of you know, being decently enough connected in the department, they're like, Hey, do you want to come to the Bob Costas masterclass? I'm like, of course, why would I not? Like it's Bob Costas. Right. There's in fact, there's somewhere a picture of a group picture of me with Bob Costas. So I'll have to try to find it. But so he came, they came in he had a, like a little moderated like session and then they opened it up to the floor to Q and a, and you know, everyone's asking him the same thing, you know, how's it like calling the world series or like all this other stuff, like you know, the generic questions you would ask Bob Costas. And so, uh, the moderator who I knew pretty well was one of the professors and she's like, okay, we've got time for one more. And earlier in the day, a buddy of mine had said, Hey, if you, if you get a question about Costas, you should ask him about this. And he told me what this was. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So the last two people holding their hands up are me and one of my best friends who's right next to me. We're sitting like literally right next to each other. And she points to me and goes, yeah, you go right ahead. So I stand up and, I'm, and Bob Costas is sitting probably about 20 feet from me. And I go, Bob, hey, you know, appreciate you coming to talk to us today. You know, you've gotten to do all sorts of just fantastic things, all sorts of fantastic sports. And, you know, I'd really like to know what was your experience like on the set of the hit movie Basketball? Can you tell me anything about that? And everyone just kind of looks at me like, what the fuck are you doing right now? Why are you asking Bob Costas about basketball? Did it go? I mean, did it go over well? Like, did Bob Costas looks at me and he says something to the extent of, that's the best question you could come up with for the final question. 
and the class laughs, and luckily he laughs as well. He was being sarcastic-ish. But then he goes on to talk about his experience working with Al Michaels on oh, basketball nice. and how he said, if I had known what it was, when because he said that the way he got involved is Al Michaels called him and said, hey, I'm doing this movie about basketball. Would you like to come be in it with me? <laughs> so, he's like, so he probably thought it'd be like a naked gun thing like that. Yeah. You know, no, he thought it was a serious movie. basketball movie. Yeah, but even like even a, even a joke movie, like the naked gun, you know, all those yeah. folks are commentating, but like they're commentating like it's a serious thing, even though it's a spoof. And yeah, you've got a pretty good idea of what you're doing, even though the movie is ridiculous. His logic was that since Al Michaels, who at that time was the gold standard, still is, I think, yeah. for announcers, like he goes, well, certainly if Al Michaels is involved, there's no way this isn't a serious endeavor. And I can absolutely align myself with it. I mean, it's Al Michaels, for God's sakes. And he gets there, and of course, it most certainly is not. And admittedly, I have not seen the movie, So, there, but he, he talks about, there. he quotes this one specific line from the movie, I wish I could remember what it was, but it was something just to hear Bob Costas say it was very outrageous. And it it, it was a great way to end the moment. But yes, I, I had That's the very fine. privilege of saying I could have asked him anything. I could have asked him anything in the world about sports casting, about anything. <laughs> and I'll never get to do it again. I will never talk to Bob Costas ever again. Yeah, but, but if you uh, ask him some milk toast question about, you know, uh, hey, Mr. Costas, yeah, yeah, right. how how great it, what you know, what is your level of excitement for a game seven of a World Series? Is it really cool? Right. How do you how does it make you feel? Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, stuff like that is like, yeah, whatever. Well, I mean, at least you do what my brother did and you know, ask somebody why they divorced somebody on a show at a at like a sci-fi convention. That, that was that was. Have I, have, have I never told you that story? I don't think so. God, I, I mean, maybe so. I should save it for another time. Or I don't know. Maybe. I think we're we're pro we're probably done with that's the, what I've gone mean. over an hour. Oh, so. we, no, no, no. You can tell we're 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 definitely into overtime at this point. But I'm willing to include any good stories you have at this so, at this rate. So go well, right ahead. Yeah, I mean, so this this is like uh, I was in college. I was home. My brother's in high school. My brother is like a big Doctor Who fan, and I'm talking about the original Brit, like the original like mm-hmm. old Doctor Who, not the the new one. And you know, he's all the Tom Baker, you know, who was the Doctor, like, and probably still is, but before like Tennant. So he wants to go to convention. I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever. At that what's, point, what's the age difference between you guys? Like two and a half years. So he he's probably like fifteen or six. He's probably fifteen, and I'm like, I guess eighteen. Maybe he's sixteen. Like you know, sixteen or nineteen, fifteen, eighteen. And I'm kind of a doctor. I'm like whatever. So we get tickets for the Sunday, and like the vibe is, it's that there's a it, a bunch of super fans. It was in New Brunswick, New Jersey, so it's really close to where we live. It's like we had to go to Manhattan. So I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's a twenty minute drive. I'll I'll, I'll go. Um, so it's like the last day of like a two and a half day convention. The vibe is clearly very much of like everyone there has had the greatest time and we're interlopers. I mean, no, nobody's saying this and no one's being jerks to us, but I think it's the, yeah, you missed this really cool thing, you know, that happened, you know, this, this day and you miss this and you miss that. And like, this is fun, but you know, it's really winding down like whatever. So, um, there's panels. I don't know if you've ever been to these like, you know, conventions, but you know, there, there's panels and, and one of the panels has, um, Lala Ward who was on like Dr. Who like with, 
you know, Tom Baker while he was on the show. And she played a, another Time Lord. Like, I'm not going to get too wonky about it. But, you know, so she's doing a cute, though. Know, and they wound up, like, you know, getting married. And, you know, they also, like, wound up, like, the, the marriage didn't last long. They wound up getting divorced. She actually wound up marrying Richard Dawkins, which we could go into a whole. What? Oh, I found that out, actually, when I told wow. somebody else. Yeah, she wound up marrying Richard Dawkins in the 90s, and they separated a few years ago. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Wow, that is a that is quite the thing. So, anyway, um, you know, she's she's answering the typical fan questions, and, and people are, you know, tossing her softballs. And you can tell, like, it's like it always is with these conventions. There, there's a lot of love, but also Doctor Who compared to Star Trek, it's not the typical nerdy thing where people are saying, oh, you know, in 1977, an episode, whatever, you did this. Like, they're just the nicest questions. Like, they're they're very gentle, and she's answering them, and she's very kind. And there's, I don't know, there's a few minutes left. My brother whispers to me, he's like, maybe I should ask her about her divorce from Tom Baker. And I give him this look where I'm, I'm like dude but but i say to him i'm trying to be gentle with him I'm like steven like don't don't do it like like i i don't or i'm like i don't think it's the best idea but i don't flat out say to him no or i don't say like fuck that dude i'm leaving like we're, we're going home and i can see i don't know if you've ever had this happen like especially with an adolescent where i can see the wheels going around like the wheels are spinning in his head and they're spinning like this is gonna be great and i'm gonna make people laugh and it's gonna be funny <laughs> And I think you can like see where this is going. Like, it, so he he gets up. He and it's a similar thing to Samuel's story. It's like we have time for like one or two more questions, and he asks, you know, so why did you divorce Tom Baker? You could hear a pin drop. I think a couple of people booed like and started making noises, <laughs> but she she actually like kind of like sort of put her hand up or just sort of like you know did something but she also gave a look which was like the somebody let out like a, a big loud like awful fart like that was the look on her face the look of like <laughs> pure yeah. disgust and she she just said something in her you know wonderful accent of like well i don't think i have anything to say about that and then the moderator pretty much came up and he said well i think that's all the time we have yeah, thank you <laughs> and people were kind of like giving my brother the side i'm like yeah you ruined this even though really like I think it was about over anyway. So at that point he looked deflated and sad and I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go home. And we, we left, but it, it just was one of those things where <laughs> I just was so awful. And like those 10 to 15 minutes where in his head, the wheels were spinning, like, this is going to be great. We're worse than him actually asking the question for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, no, so you could bad. see the train wreck in slow I, motion. I don't know what I can do to stop it. Like, and I, I, you know, short of like trying to yank him out of there or like, you know, getting right. into an altercation where that becomes a story of like, you know, people pulling us out of there and going, why are the two of you yelling at each other? You know, while this person <laughs> is doing a Q and a, I, there was nothing I could really do. Yeah. It was, it was awful. It was like really cringy and, and terrible. <laughs> do you still, do you still occasionally bring that up with him? I do not. I, the funny thing is a lot of that. people don't know that story. I told my, my sister who's eight years younger, this is part of why she only heard that story recently. And like Teresa, God bless her. Like she, she was trying to defend my brother and she's like, well, you know, he was younger. That was a long time ago. And I said to her, I said, well, 
he wasn't like six or <laughs> like even, even Oscar's age. And I think your son probably would know better, like not to do something like that. Well, but no, he'd be mortified. But yeah, no, that's what I mean. But like, he, but my brother wasn't six or seven where, you know, he's thinking in his head like, oh, let me do this thing. And, you know, right. Like, he was and, trying to he was he was trying to be a wise ass. He was he was he was trying to be and a that's, shit. And, and I, I was trying to be a shitster is what he was doing. Yeah, And, 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 and I, that's I certainly I, have done I that, was, too. I was like that, you know, probably mostly like in more in like junior high and high school, but like, yeah, I was, I was like, what can I say? You know, what, how can I, was, I be I was that way smart too. ass? And a lot of times it just, just blew up in my face, you know? And it's, I, I, I mean, this is different, but it's, it's, uh, it also involves me being humiliated. Um, oh, but so, so in my, in my freshman year of college, um, I, we, we would eat. So there were like a couple of different dining comments for like all the dorms. So, you know, there were, mm-hmm. if you'd go like during the kind of peak hours, you know, it was a big dining commons with a couple hundred people in there eating their meals. And, um, I kind of had a crush on this girl in my dorm, you know, I didn't know her that well, but, uh, I, I was like, for some reason, so she was sitting near me and I, I, um, she got up to go get a drink or something. I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll take her tray and I'll like move it, you know, over to closer to where I'm sitting and, Oh, that'll, and I don't know what my end game was. Like it was, it was not really thought out. I'm like, Oh, that'll, that'll be clever. You know, she'll come sit near me. And, um, and so I pick up her tray and I turn and I collide with someone and everything on her tray just goes flying. Like no. all her food, her entire lunch. And just as oh. this is just as she walks up and she just has this look like, what the fuck are you doing to my lunch? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> sorry. Can I? And it was just, and, and there were, you know, there were only a couple hundred people there. Uh, in the dining hall watching watching this humiliation as I um you know I remember her name her name was Trina Beavis and I completely ruined Trina's lunch and oh, was like sorry. scrambling to replace her her I don't know whatever it was that she had and and I didn't even have like an end game for this you know it was just like oh. I'll do the clever cheeky thing and she'll fall in love with me and let me just um, let me just tell you that nothing ever transpired. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's that's and surprising. I, that was not a meet cute in any way, shape, or form. That yeah. was just embarrassing. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I don't know what to say. That's, that's, that's fucking hilarious. I'm it's hilarious, sorry. but I, I still feel like <laughs> like I've had moments like that, but not quite to that like. Level Awful. of public embarrassment. Well, I was going to say publicly. I've certainly had moments like privately or with a smaller group of people where I've embarrassed myself that way, but not in such a you know, mass, yeah, not in such, I, such of a large group. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone really, um, you know, uh, was taking that much notice, but except my best friend who, who I'm still, you know, close friends with, <laughs> with today. And he, he's he, every period, you know, periodically, I would say every like maybe twice a decade he will 
you will remind me of, of well, that. So. I, so I will say, like, this is something at our ages, John. Like, thank God smartphones didn't exist. Oh, my God. I, I always think about there's stuff in college and not even like stuff like that, but stuff like hanging out in the dorms. Yeah. You know, or saying some embarrassing thing or, you know, doing something. You know, while you're inebriated, I, I mean, there, there's some pictures of me doing things, unfortunately, but there, there's not like, you know, right. video. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, 100%. That's going to do it for this week's episode of It's a Baseball Podcast. Again, thank you for joining us. We've given you a couple of baseball-centric episodes, so hopefully you enjoyed that as we kind of revert back to the literal name of the show. Now, next week, we should be back with an episode. John will be out. He is on vacation, so we'll have either a guest or you'll just have me and Mike yelling at each other for 45 minutes. We haven't quite figured out exactly what we're going to do yet, so we'll have some options there. But if you like what you heard today and you want to check out the back archives, it's a baseballpodcast.com. That'll tell you how to find us on Apple, Spotify, every place where podcasts are found. If you want to follow us on social media, you can certainly do that. Mike is on Twitter at Mike Gianella. John is at John Hegland. I am at the Samuel Hale. If you've got a question, a comment, a concern, a long form thing you want to tell us, maybe you want to sponsor the program, we will certainly take your money, especially as baseball is about to start back up. It's a baseball podcast at gmail.com. But until next week, where it'll likely be me, Mike, and someone to be determined, we'll be in your ears real soon. Thank you.